Hello, everyone, and welcome back to the Blaze Experience once again. I am your host, Derek, as always, and we are back for episode 74 today. And episode 74 is a really cool episode. We're back to talk more State of Decay once again. But this time, we're actually going to talk about the newest patch notes for State of Decay, patch notes 7.0. And these are the patch notes that release alongside the Choose Your Own Apocalypse update. So when people are hearing this, they're going to hear this on Friday the 29th of March. And basically, by the time people hear this, they're already going to have this out, and they're already going to be playing Nightmare Mode, they're already going to be enjoying Nightmare Mode, but we're recording this before the patch notes actually release, and basically, we're going to go through and talk about the patch notes, you know, find out some of the unique things that are in there, find out some of the things that are maybe look a little bit more hidden that people might not understand as well, and just talk through them all. So, that's going to be a lot of fun, but before we get into that... Real quick, the next podcast I'll be doing will be releasing Saturday, April 6th. So we'll be returning to Saturdays once again. And this podcast is either going to be on the new release, Generation Zero, or it's going to be the next installment in our Dead by Daylight series. So uh, whatever one it's not, that episode will be the week after that, basically. And then our next stream is going to be Sunday, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern. We're going to be either streaming State of Decay 2 or returning to Generation Zero. Most likely, it's going to be Generation Zero, just because by the time you're hearing this, I'm already going to have a couple of streams in the Nightmare Mode for State of Decay, so I will probably do my second stream for Generation Zero on that Sunday, and then I'll probably get back into State of Decay on the Tuesday following that. But without further ado, we do have a guest here with us today. Back with us on the podcast, you did hear him on the anniversary show for a short segment, and you actually have heard him a couple times on different episodes. Please welcome back Undead Labs Senior Designer, Jeffrey Card. How are you, Jeffrey? Hey, I'm doing pretty good. It's nice to have you back on the podcast. Oh, it's nice to be here. I just had an enormous lunch, so uh, hopefully I won't be uh, belching too loudly into the microphone. Uh, I'm sure people won't mind too much. <laughs> the, the info will be good enough. <laughs> <laughs> now you can just imagine what that would be like. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Plus, I'd edit it out anyway, so... <laughs> As far as the audience knows, uh, I did it several times over the course of the podcast. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> but we're here to talk about the new patch for State of Decay. You know, um, by the time people are hearing this, Nightmare Mode and Dread Zone are both out. And, you know, I, I think they're going to be enjoying it. I think it's going to be a great release. Uh, I, You know, we're, we've been pretty excited to get this thing out for a long time now. So uh, it's fun to be able to finally talk about it in detail and sort of reveal all the little, you know, uh, all the little bits that uh, are going into it at the same time, because we've got the Choose Your Own Apocalypse update, but we're also always trying to add things and improve things with the game. And so I guess, you know, this episode, we're going to go through all the stuff that isn't part of the new uh, difficulty modes. Exactly. And, you know, I've read through these patch notes, you know, a pretty brief glance, and there's some really key hidden gems in here that I think are going to make players really happy. So on top of the Choose Your Own Apocalypse, you get all the stuff in this patch that is going to really help the game forward. So I really love this patch. Oh, thank you. I'm really looking forward to seeing how people think of it. <laughs> yeah, I think they're going to love it. You know, you have a lot of community crests in here, and we can kind of start right there. So we, uh, the first category we're going to talk about is community management. And one of the first for community crests that's actually on here is New Red Talon recruits can no longer receive the backup good example hero bonus because it's kind of pathetic compared to the unique Red Talon ones. So yeah, you want to kind of elaborate on that a little more? Yeah, so I actually I saw somebody uh, on our Discord today posting a picture of one of their Red Talon characters, and I saw that they had the good example hero bonus, and I was like, oh man, uh, if they just waited just a little bit longer, they would have had a better one. Because So the way it works is um, you know, each of the traits in the game has the potential to link that character to a particular hero bonus. And so when we're generating a character... They have a certain list of traits, and each of those traits has a hero bonus, and then we randomly choose which hero bonus they're going to have. But not every single trait in the game has a hero bonus associated with it, and so uh, it's possible, if you're extremely unlucky, to get three traits, none of which have a hero bonus. And so when that happens, we have a backup hero bonus, uh, which is the good example hero bonus, and that's the one that you get if, if your character randomly didn't get uh, another kind. The problem is... Uh, that was also happening with the Red Talon guys. They were randomly, like, every time uh, it was generating a Red Talon character, it was randomly choosing whether to give them the hero bonus we intended or to give them good example. And so you ended up with a lot of Red Talon characters having one of the more pathetic hero bonuses in the game. So uh, that's over now. Uh, they should always be getting appropriate Red Talon unique hero bonuses. Uh, you shouldn't be seeing good example anymore. Which is awesome. Do you want to refresh people what good example actually does and why it might oh. not be worthy? I'm trying to remember now. I th was it? It was just like a morale bonus or something, wasn't it? 
I believe so. Yes, I actually did that whole podcast recently. I think, but I can't remember. I can't remember exactly what it was. It's it's deliberately something not very impressive because it is for characters who didn't happen to show up with a particularly interesting one. A lot of the times, uh, we want the hero bonuses to feel very themed with the attitude of the character, and so the ones that had really strong, you know, a sense of oh, I know who this character is. We wanted all of those to be associated with specific traits about the character's background. But this one, good example, is just such a straightforward thing. Anybody could do this. Uh, that's that's right. why we threw it in as the backup. Yeah, like something like Sleeping in Shifts is such a great, you know, hero bonus to have. And I love that hero bonus. <laughs> yeah, but like if somebody has got Sleeping in Shifts, you want to look at their, you know, at their traits and see, oh, that's why they're good at Sleeping in Shifts. Because right. they used to be a trucker or something, you know. Or like they used to, you know, always live outdoors or like what you never know. Yeah, exactly. But uh, one thing that I want to point out about these uh, these patch notes is a lot of them start with the heading uh, community request. If folks uh, go to our website and, and, and read them themselves, uh, they'll see community request at, at the head of uh, some of the bullets. And we actually got that from uh, the Dead Cells team. This is something they do with their patch notes, which is they ha- they call out the ideas and the bugs and the fixes that were inspired by comments they were getting from the community because they really wanted to not just fix things for the community, but let the community know that they were listening. And so we're trying to do the same thing. We want people to know that we're paying attention to the feedback that they're giving us. And so this is one where, uh, you know, uh, players were actually, you know, reporting to us that their Red Talon guys were getting the good example here about us way too much. And we didn't actually realize that was going on until people in the community called it out to us. Uh, and so we want to give credit where credit's due. And uh, people found that and we, <laughs> we realized we needed to fix it. And so, uh, yeah, so you shouldn't be having that anymore. And that's awesome. I, you know, I think I can speak for the community here where we really appreciate, you know, Undead Labs actually taking our community press and, you know, setting those forward because there's a lot of studios that don't really do that as often. So, you know, definitely appreciate that. We can't always do, you know, what, what people, what people want. Sometimes there's technical constraints or other reasons why we Absolutely. just can't do something people ask for. But whenever we can, we'd like to be able to do it. Definitely. And just as a side too, I did check and, I actually did the podcast on the Enclave bonuses, the hero bonuses. I haven't done it yet, so that's why I wasn't oh, okay. fresh in my mind. So <laughs> <laughs> that will be a later podcast still to come. <laughs> but another community crest that happened was your follower is now treated as a high-priority character by the population management system and will no longer wink out of existence when you approach a base full of people. Yeah, that was kind of a, a, a funny, embarrassing one. So, the way, so we can't actually keep uh, a community of 10 or 11 characters uh, hanging around your base all the time with all of their AI running and stuff. It's just, it's too much, uh, with all the other things that could be happening, you know, zombies and, and freaks coming in from the outside. It would, it would just be too much AI. And so we actually have a system that pulls characters and has them not actually appear around the base. And, uh, the problem was, uh, you know, your, your character, of course, never gets culled out. And if you are right. trying to say, exile someone or, you know, uh, do, there's a particular character you have to talk to, they're always listed as high priority and they never get culled. But we forgot to include your current follower on that list. And so it was possible players could actually walk up to their base. And if their base was full of people, their follower could just wink out of existence because suddenly, you know, instead of trying to, to you know, simulate only two characters running around, suddenly we're trying to simulate 12 characters running around and they would have to get rid of sense. some. And so your follower would just vanish. And uh, it was ridiculous. And so that shouldn't be happening anymore. Yeah, that kind of sounds like what um, I heard you mention on stream before with the first game where you had a community of 30 people. The system just couldn't handle all 30 of the map at once, basically. Yeah, so we've always been limited to around, like, six characters hanging around the base in, in both uh, iterations in the franchise. And uh, and so this was that system kind of going wrong a little bit, but hopefully it should be better now. Awesome. But another change is we improve the camera behavior when switching to a character within the base to prevent it from getting stuck in its broken state. Yeah, so I never actually saw that one happening. Uh, I didn't this, either, is, yeah. this is one where I just, my job was recording the fix in the patch notes and not necessarily have anything to do with, with building it. But the, what people told me was that there was just a certain weird set of uh, circumstances where, uh, you know, if you switch to a character in a certain situation, the camera could start in a weird zone and never be able to get back to normal. Uh, until you, unless you did something drastic. Uh, and so this should fix that. You shouldn't be, if, if a player out there saw that happening, shouldn't be happening anymore. Yeah, I'm glad that's fixed. You know, it's not something I personally encounter, but you know, anything that is on here, you know, I'm glad it's fixed because somebody encountered it. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> you get, when you get a game that's played by five million people, it's like, right, exactly. <laughs> even the rarest bug, somebody's going to see it. Exactly. Yeah, I mean, there's been previous patch notes I've gone over before. I'm like, I haven't seen this personally, but I'm, I'm glad for whoever was experiencing it, it's fixed for them. So, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Another one is characters now leave stealth when being cured of blood plague to avoid some rare disasters. Yeah, so the um, we've got kind of a different system when when you're going through the animations. 
uh, that cures you from blood plague and you know, giving yourself a neck injection or giving somebody else that neck injection. That set of animations are handled in a completely different way from the animations that run your character around like normal. And apparently there was some kind of awkward mishmash of those two systems where if you were in stealth, the game wouldn't know what to do with you uh, when, when you started uh, being cured from uh, from blood plague. So uh, that's ironed out now and basically just kind of knocks you out of stealth so that it doesn't cause the problem. That makes sense then. Yeah, I wasn't one to use stealth a lot, you know, in standard mode, but now in Nightmare I'm going to have to, so. Yeah, which is, you know, th- there's a couple of different fixes here to stealth, which hopefully will be very yeah. useful for people when they uh, <laughs> exactly. get in Nightmare mode. Nah, I was more just, you know, kind of not really fearing anything in standard, but now I'm going to have to fear things a little more, so. <laughs> <laughs> but another change is stacking experience penalties can no longer reduce a character's experience rate below 25%. Yeah, th- so this is uh, illustrative of, of several of the different uh, fixes that we made. A lot of them are inspired by the fact that we were working on uh, the Choose Your Own Apocalypse uh, update at the same time. And so in Choose Your Own Apocalypse, uh, I think in I think it's in Nightmare, uh, we automatically apply uh, an experience penalty to everyone. So everyone's skills are going up more slowly. Uh, but what we found was originally we had tuned it so that you could only get experience penalties from a few different sources. And so they would never actually stack up to remove 100% of your uh, of your experience. But with the new uh, penalty that was being added by the new difficulty modes, uh, suddenly people were getting 0% experience and they would never, ever, ever progress. So we had to put a minimum on there. And so that minimum, it applies across the board. You know, if we ever add anything else to the game that gives you experience penalties, don't worry, it'll never go more, you know, get worse than a quarter speed. Uh, and, and so we can, we can keep expanding the game if we want to. And, uh, and we've just sort of fixed that across the board. I'm sure that kind of apply with like Red Talon, for example, too, where they have a harder time with experience, probably. Uh, yeah, yeah. I think that, well, so I think yeah, with, in their particular case, we actually just gave their skills more experience increments to fill. So they, oh, they, okay. they weren't going to incur that, but that's the thing. It's like, there's usually like three or four different ways to affect the rate at which something changes in the game. And depending on which ones you choose, you can incur all kinds of weird problems. Well, I'm glad it's settled now. You know, and no one's going to get 0% experience. I mean, yes, exactly. That's not a fun way to progress. So. <laughs> <laughs> But the infirmary now displays the correct rate of meds uses when treating blood plague. Yeah, that was an interesting one too. So the original, um, the original game, uh, you know, State of Decay One, um, a day lasted for two hours. Uh, in State of Decay Two, we actually shortened that to ninety minutes because uh, people were feeling a little bit stranded uh, at night. You know, like, oh, when is the sun ever going to come up? And so we shortened right. it up a little bit. Um, but then that left us in this weird, awkward state where. If a day was just an hour long, it would be easy to just say, oh, yeah, something that happens once a day also happens once an hour. It's really easy to say how long things take. Uh, but when your day is an hour and a half, that leaves you without a lot of really good units to use. You could say, oh, this t- this happens once a day, but the player doesn't really know how long a day is. You could say it's once an hour, but then that's mismatched with the length of the day. Uh, and so I don't even remember exactly what the problem was with the infirmary right now, I, I used to know. But basically it was, it was using a set of, it was using a set of numbers that used one set of units, but it was saying it was using a different set of units. So it was totally inaccurate. Like it was, you know, doing something once a day, but saying it was doing once an hour or maybe vice versa. So we fixed it now. Whatever it says in the base screen now is accurate. That's actually, um, you know, how often that, that it uses meds. See, that's interesting actually, because I never would have picked that up. Yeah. So. Whoever picked that up, I'm kind of um, glad they picked it up because I never would have saw that. <laughs> so. We tried so many different ways to talk about like how how uh, how big your incomes are and things like that because we used to because you get your income. Uh, players still get pretty confused by this because uh, you get your like you know if you've got a food income from your gardens or something, uh, right. you get that dropped twice a day, once in the morning and once in the evening. Um, and so we used to say uh, this is how you know you get five food per half day. But that's such a weird, awkward thing to say uh, that didn't make sense to a lot of people. And so then we would say, okay, you're getting 10 food a day, but then each drop is only half of it. And so players are like, it says I'm getting 10 food a day, but my drop says I only got five. And uh, that's actually a lot that of the sense, uh, yeah. a lot of the feedback that we get. And I agree. It is very confusing. Um, <laughs> and unfortunately, I don't think there's an answer that doesn't have some kind of confusion involved with it. So uh, so that's where we are. But at least the infirmary is accurate now. Well, I'm glad that's accurate now. So, you know, hopefully uh, people don't see that bug anymore. <laughs> but we actually have a different category now. We're moving on to some gameplay changes. And we have a bunch of community requests here. One of these requests is sneaking with a stealth skill 
no longer causes involuntary movement. And this is something I actually saw myself. So I actually oh, did yeah. experience this one. <laughs> we, we've been hearing this one, about this one from a lot of people. Every time we do a stream, people are like, when are you going to fix the fact that my character is constantly <laughs> creeping around when I'm in stealth mode? And, uh, yeah, it was just, it was a simple little silly bug. Uh, but you know, but we fixed it. Uh, by the time anyone listens to this, that bug should be gone. So, uh, go back. Feel free to go back and play your stealth characters, and they shouldn't be creeping around like weirdos the whole time. Out of curiosity, too, what was causing that? Was it like something just internally, like one slider was like wrong or something? Or? Uh, you know what? I honestly don't remember this one because, uh, the, the moment to moment gameplay isn't usually my area, so I don't have a lot of deep understanding of how those things work. Usually it's just anecdotal. Somebody, uh, will describe to me what was happening, and I'll be like, oh, that was hilarious. And, uh, and then I'll forget it, uh, very soon afterwards. But, uh, it, it was something very simple. Just, you know, we, uh, right. we kept having, we kept updating the skills, uh, you know, as we were adding to the game and, and, and expanding it. And each time you touch something that already works, there's a good chance you're going to break some part of it you didn't think to test. And that, that happens constantly all the time, which is why, you know, you have to always maintain, um, you know, a big, uh, QA team constantly playing your game. But even if you have the best testers in the world, there's going to be something nobody tries, you know, until it gets out into the wild. So uh, even though, you know, we're, we're describing all these fixes here, I am absolutely certain there is something uh, in 7.0 that's busted uh, that we're going to find out about and have to do like a hot fix or something. Yeah, I mean, that's kind of just the nature of the beast. So, <laughs> yeah, so we're doing our best. I mean, we each time we, we come out with an update uh, and each time we find out that there are bugs. Uh, you know, we, we look at, you know, what happened to, to cause that bug to get out into the wild. And we, we put a lot of thought into our processes. And we, we've, you know, we've definitely, we've started, uh, involving, uh, the QA team a lot more in planning out these updates and, uh, you know, getting them involved from day one and making sure that everything we do is very testable. Uh, and so I think we've gotten a lot better over time at, uh, at releasing stable updates. But, you know, no matter how good you get, there's always this non-zero chance that something weird is going to slip through. And so you just kind of, you kind of grit your teeth, <laughs> you accept it, but then you just you commit yourself to the responsibility of when you find out about these things, you go back and then you fix them. Yeah, that definitely makes sense. You know, kind of like you said, I mean, I think there was a patch um, way early on where you said that you accidentally broke gunslinging or something. So <laughs> Yeah, no, I, I've done it myself. And it was it was the kind of thing where it's like, you know, I was focusing on something else. I, I was fixing gunslinging for some other reason. And the part of it that was broken, it was just, you know, my my quick little cursory test I did to make sure I didn't break it. The exact stuff that I did didn't happen to hit the situation where it was broken. And, uh, you know, it's, it's, it's impossible to, to fully catch all of those, but it is possible to get a lot better at it. And so that's what we've been focusing on is, is, you know, trying to make our processes, uh, you know, uh, better, you know, improving uh, the, the processes that we go through here when we're developing an update uh, to make sure that uh, we're doing everything that we can to make sure that things are things are solid before they leave the building. And honestly, I think it's been working. You know, I mean, last couple of patches, I haven't really noticed a ton of new issues. You know, after the patches, so yeah, the uh, you know we haven't broken the audio again, so that's good. <laughs> that's always good. <laughs> that was the worst bug out of the history of the game. So <laughs> yeah, so and I'm so relieved we got that. I mean, as long as that one's gone, I feel like we're we're on a different yes. level now. <laughs> That was there for so long. <laughs> <laughs> oh yeah, no, and it, it, it was it was like you know the original Little Mermaid where she's like walking on knives every second that she's uh, out of the water. It was very similar, just sort of going right. through the period where the audio bug was there. It was like walking on knives every day. Definitely. <laughs> but back to the gameplay changes. We have another community request. One is we improved how our characters held some firearms to make sure their hands line up with the proper grips. Uh, yeah. So uh, Seth Saltz, our, uh, our our technical animator. Uh, he actually, we didn't just sort of fix, go through firearm by firearm and make sure the hands were lined up. He actually, uh, created some, uh, some better, uh, tools and, and procedures for the animators, which are way too technical for me to understand. Uh, but he created some, some, some new options for them that, that made it a lot easier for them to get the hands snapped into the right positions for all of these different guns. And so you should see a pretty, if players who were noticing the hands being in the wrong place on the weapons, uh, should notice a big improvement to, to how that was working. That's awesome. Yeah. I didn't really notice that because, I mean, I don't, you know, pay attention to my hands and my guns too often, but, um, yeah. now yeah, and then there was, of... <laughs> now and then there's one that really stood out. It's like your hand would be sticking up through the yeah, pump shotgun true. or something like that. <laughs> but, uh, but usually, usually they were pretty good, but they should be a lot better now. That's awesome. Another community request actually is Cleo weapons now were the correct experiences experience types, sorry, for improving fighting specializations like striking and swordplay. Yeah, a lot of that stuff is actually hooked up manually, like under under the hood. Like we have to actually, you know, hook up each thing to uh to to you know, to decide 
what kind of experience it grants. And uh, when we added the Clio weapons, we forgot to go through that step for some of the weapons. And so they were just sitting there not giving you the right kind of experience for your uh, your advanced fighting skills. Uh, and so now they are. Awesome. You know, it's always good to have a correct experience for that because I remember early on, one of the skills that I liked to use a lot was close combat, and that wasn't giving me correct experience. So, you know, yeah, it, we fixed nice that one, I think, experience. in, uh, was it a couple of patches ago? I the think last that patch? was patch three or four. That was pretty, pretty, pretty right. Yeah, patch three or four. Yeah, that's so. something, you know, the, the more you try when you can to try to automate things like this and make it so that, you know, once you set up a gun of, uh, or, a, or a weapon of a certain type, it just automatically sends the right experience. But, uh, but that can have its own problems too, right? When something is automatic, you can do something by accident. In this case, you have to very deliberately choose, you know, what kind of experience you're getting from, uh, from each weapon. But that that's can, true, yeah. uh, that has its own problems if you forget to go through the step. There's not really one perfect way, uh, to set things up so that you never introduce any bugs, I don't think. But, uh, but yeah, we've got that one uh, ironed out now. Awesome. I'm glad to hear it. And our last community request of this section is your character now remembers the state of their flashlight as they get in and out of vehicles. So if you get in with your light on, you get out with your light on. Yeah, that one, uh, players brought that up several times. That There was just a lot of uh, uh, confusion about, like, how are these characters handling their lights? Because it seems like everyone, you know, I guess it, it's realistic that whenever you get into a car, if you had a flashlight attached to your lapel, you would actually turn it off because you don't want it shining in your windshield when you're driving around. But, you know, players would be running around at night with obviously with their flashlight on. They clearly want their flashlight on. Then they get in and out of a car and the flashlight would be off again. And they'd be like, can I just decide I'm in night mode right now and not have to keep manually turning on that light? And that sounded pretty reasonable. And so we went with it. Yeah, it definitely makes sense. You know, and I, I always figured that too. So another one that is very similar that I don't think it would apply to is the car headlights themselves. Does that apply to that too? Uh, so the car headlights themselves, uh, they still are on when you're, when you're driving the car and they turn off automatically when you get out. So we have had okay. some requests recently from people asking, you know, can we just leave the lights on, on right? when we yeah. get out? The problem with that, uh, just if we just did it the simplest possible way. Uh, the problem is uh, there's actually a limit to how many lights we can afford uh, to have going at once, like how many dynamic lights we can have. Uh, a lot of the lighting in the game is 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 baked in in a certain way so that it's a lot cheaper uh, at runtime. But dynamic lights, like the light attached to your chest, uh, the light you know from your car, we can only do so many of those at once without tanking our performance. Um, and so if you were able to, for instance, gather a dozen cars all in a circle and have them all shining their lights on each other, uh, that would be a big problem. Uh, there's probably good solutions for that. I mean, we okay. could probably limit the number of cars you could have headlights on. Lights from. on, right. Uh, and you're just like, if you turn on one, you, we turn off the previous one. Uh, but that would take some, you know, some, some a lot of details sort of figuring out exactly how it works. And so it's it's on the list now of things we might do in the future uh, if we get the opportunity. Uh, so we, we've definitely heard that feedback. Uh, but in this patch, it's just your, you know, the light on your backpack strap. That's the thing that's affected. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. I mean, cause it seems like something that people would like to use strategy wise. You know, if you're going after a play car, maybe keep your lights on for the car. It kind of shines the area bright for you so you can kind of see what's going on more. So. Oh yeah. I definitely, I definitely can understand why people want to do it. It makes perfect sense. And it's what you'd want to do in real life. Right. And that, that's a lot of, you know, what people come to State of Decay 2 for is to have sort of this simulated experience of what it might be like to try to survive in the zombie apocalypse. And so things like that, where it's like an obvious uh, thing that people would do in reality, uh, it that, that by itself is a compelling argument for, for trying to reflect it in the game if we can. And so, yeah, the question is just, are we going to have the right resources at the right time to, to do that? And are we going to choose it over some other uh, improvement right. that might be even more important? So uh, we'll just have to see how things go in the future. Awesome. But I'm glad the character part of that is uh, fixed now. So you can keep <laughs> that, you know, lapel light on or off or however you want it. So, yeah, I'm definitely looking forward to that part of it myself as a player. But the last gameplay change we have is actually one that I find very interesting for efficiency purposes. Mm -hmm. um, you can now actually break open rucksacks on your back while searching containers. That's pretty efficient, actually. Yeah, so this is actually, um, so it turns out each version of your inventory, when, like, when you've got your inventory just up by itself, or if you've got it up next to a container, or next to a vehicle, or next to your supply locker, or you're in a vehicle and you've got it open, all of those different situations, those are effectively different menus. And so uh, anytime we wanted to set up an action in one of those menus, we had to remember to go through and make it work in every single version of it separately. Um, and so in this particular case, there wasn't a strong reason why we weren't letting people uh, break open rucksacks on their backs while they were searching a container. We just never got around to making it possible. Uh, and so now we have. And actually, this uh, this particular one and another couple of improvements we've been working on behind the scenes uh, actually inspired us to go through and actually do a full audit of all the stuff you can do. Uh, in every single, uh, uh, setting with your, with your inventory. And we found a lot of stuff that we thought just, you know, by default was going to be possible. Turned out 
wasn't happening. Um, and so we're still, we've still got some, uh, some further fixes to do along, along those lines. Well, I'm glad this one is in place now, though. I mean, that's yeah, this definitely going to be very efficient. So <laughs> yeah, this is first of potentially, um, yeah, a few more. So awesome. But next, we actually have a section that has a lot of, uh, changes that I think, you know, are really important to highlight and, not that the other ones aren't, but like these are ones that I think that are going to be really speaking to the player base a lot. So mm-hmm. this section is titled Zombies. And the first one we have up is a community request where ambient zombies now actively avoid entering the safe zones around player bases, enclave bases, outposts, and other secured sites. Uh, yeah, so this is another one that was definitely inspired by uh, working with Dread Zones and Nightmare Zones because, you know, I think a lot of people who played the game a bunch, they remember many times where they're just hanging out in their base and suddenly there's a zombie in the middle of their base for no apparent reason. Yep. And, uh, you know, and that's okay to deal with. It's not a huge deal. But in Nightmare Zones, uh, you know, having a couple of random zombies show up in your base, first off, there's a lot more zombies out there and they're more sensitive to noise and they'll chase you a lot further. So it was happening more often that zombies were getting into your base. And when they did, they could actually kill some of your characters. Uh, and so it became a much bigger deal, uh, once we started working at the harder difficulty levels. So, uh, so we actually set it up, um, uh, Peter, one of the designers, he actually set up a new thing where zombies will actively avoid being in safe zones unless they actually see you and are chasing you. So if a zombie steps into a safe zone, uh, they'll be like, wait, am I checking? Am I, am I chasing a player right now? If I'm not, then I'm just going to turn around and walk out again. Um, so basically those safe zones that are marked out on the map should actually not have zombies in them unless you are actually leading a zombie inside or making a bunch of noise. So you can still get zombies in there, especially during a siege. You can still get zombies in there. I was going to say that doesn't apply to hordes, I assume, right? Yeah. Yeah. So if, if you've got a siege that's happening at your base, right, of course okay. the zombies are all going to come inside. Right. It's just the ambient wandering zombies that don't have any particular target in mind. They will turn around if they start getting into a safe zone, just to kind of, you know, uh, simulate that idea that you've actually cleared out this area around your base and you know it's relatively safe unless something bad happens. Like you drive a noisy car up, fire, and then you get out and start firing a bunch of guns. Yeah, some zombies will chase you in. But, uh, but yeah, if, if they don't know you're there, then they'll just wander somewhere else. No, that's really something that's going to be refreshing as a player because I, I can't tell you the amount of times, you know, I'm searching through my locker, you know, I'm, I'm picking my loadout, and then all of a sudden a zombie grabs me from behind. I'm like, what the heck? Like, I'm, I'm searching through my locker. You're like, jeez. <laughs> yeah, so. and you can see it. It's one of those things where when it happened to us, we're like, well, that's not exactly what we had in mind. But it was really easy to prioritize other fixes over that, right? right. Because, you know, usually it wasn't a big deal. Okay, a zombie attacked me. That was a little annoying. I'll kill it, and then I'll move on. There were other problems yeah. that felt bigger, right? <laughs> Uh, but now that we're, now that that actually could result in play, in character losses and things like that, we're like, okay, maybe, maybe we should actually fix this one now. No, it definitely makes sense. You know, in Nightmare, that's going to be a lot more deadly. So I'm glad that's fixed. <laughs> <laughs> but another fix that's really important, I think, is Plague Hearts now drop more loot in addition to the usual Plague samples. And it says in parentheses here, let's not think too hard about how these items got here. <laughs> yeah, that was, uh, that last little comment was added by, uh, by Andy Collins. And, uh, <laughs> he's, he's got some ideas for, for, for why the, uh, the play card might be full of weapons and, uh, consumables <laughs> right. and things like that. But, uh, but yeah, so basically, um, once we started, uh, really ramping up the difficulty, we realized that, you know, Plague Hearts, uh, we didn't want them to become drudgery, right? We didn't want it to become like, oh man, every single time I fight a plague heart, I'm risking my character's lives. It takes a ton of resources. It's really hard. And we wanted people to feel rewarded at the end of it. More so than, you know, plague samples, you can get plague samples anywhere, right? And so we wanted people to feel really rewarded for going through this, this difficult process. We didn't want it to just be like, ugh, I have to do 12 of these or whatever the number is. And so, uh, yeah, so Brian went through and he came up with loot tables. Uh, for all of the plague hearts. And so, uh, there's some, some, you know, pretty basic loot you can get from them, uh, in standard zones. And then in dread zone and nightmare zones, you can actually get some pretty decent, uh, rare gear from, from killing a lot of plague hearts. Yeah, that's something really unique and cool that I haven't seen yet either because um, I was involved in the beta and that wasn't out there in the beta. Th- yet, this was one of the last features we added uh, right at the last minute. Brian was like, "Can I please check this in just, just, just real quick?" <laughs> and uh, and, it, and he managed to sneak it in right, right before we cut it off. So I mean, I know people. Um, by the time they hear this, they probably already tested it out, but. Do you have any examples for what might be available in Dread Zone or Nightmare Zone in the play cards? You know, we're we're probably going to need to uh, uh, ask Brian about that. So uh, I think he's he's going to be on the stream by the time this you know this uh, podcast comes out. Uh, we'll already have our stream up on the YouTube channel. So uh, let's make sure we ask Brian that question uh, because okay. he, he's the one who could definitely give you a sense better than I could. Yeah, people would probably be interested to hear like, oh, what's what's available in Nightmare? You know, what's available in Dread? Possibly. So <laughs> yeah, exactly. 
But maybe, you know, uh, oftentimes when we ask Brian questions like that, he wants to leave it a mystery. So uh, that that might very well be the answer that we get. Yeah, I'm cool with that, too. You know, so <laughs> I'll, I'll investigate it myself then. <laughs> but another change is we fixed a rare case where you can hit a zombie with an unexploded grenade and knock all their limbs out. That sounds really interesting. <laughs> yeah, so I never actually saw that one happening. And I'm not uh, I'm not really uh, the expert in this. And so I don't remember precisely what the cause is. I could imagine it might have been something like. You assign the kind of damage that the grenade does when it explodes, and maybe that kind of damage also gets uh, assigned to the grenade when it's in its unexploded state, <laughs> right. or something like that. There was something accidental. I, I don't. It probably wasn't that exact thing, but there was something accidental that was causing. Yeah, certain grenades. If you if you threw it at a zombie and it just hit the zombie directly, all of its arms and legs would fall off. And that's you know hilarious, but not really the intent. Uh, <laughs> yes. So 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 we fixed that one. Yeah, I haven't seen it, but I can just picture how hilarious that beanie's throw grenade. Oh, his legs fell off. It's like you're bowling or something. It's like, <laughs> yeah. I expect it to exactly. make a bowling pin sound when it happens. <laughs> right. So that's nice of this fix, though. <laughs> but another really important fix, I think, is we fixed a bug that was making play cards too sensitive explosions. So you can now expect killing a play card in the standard zone to take approximately seven soda can bombs, four pipe bombs, three frag grenades, or two C4 charges. Yeah, so apparently there was just an accident that was causing um, all of those, you know, sources of, of explosive damage to do more than expected damage to play cards. And so people were killing them too easily. And that's something that you notice when you're trying to tune, uh, a, you know, higher difficulty levels is, uh, you know, if something is working a little bit too well, that stands out. And so uh, we, we were able to uh, to catch that one and, and fix it. So it should be a little bit tougher to fight play cards now. Awesome. Yeah, because correct me if I'm wrong, but I believe it's supposed to be where Dread has less play cards, but they're higher, harder to beat. And then Nightmare has more in number, but they're still roughly the same difficulty as standard? That's about how I understand uh, uh, Brian describing it, so I, I, I believe that's probably true. Okay. <laughs> so that should be interesting, though. You know, maybe we'll have, like, you know, I'm just guessing on a number here, so this isn't, like, official, but maybe yeah. we'll have, like, you know, 20 play cards in Nightmare. Like, that'd be kind of crazy. I have to take out 20 now or something, so. <laughs> so it, it is some number that's higher than normal. I can't, I can't tell you which one, it, what, what exact number it is. Yeah, that'll be fun to test out, so I can't wait to test that out. <laughs> yeah. But that is it for our zombie fixes, so we actually have a next section is radio commands, and in this section... The item that triggers sniper support radio command can now be used from within a vehicle. Yes, yeah, so we did this pass in the previous update where we made it so that certain uh, consumables like uh, like painkillers and stuff could be used while you're riding in a vehicle. And we realized uh, a little bit too late that the sni the sniper support uh, command uh, that it gives you it gives you a consumable that you use to trigger it when when you're ready to go. And we realized there's no reason why that couldn't be done within a vehicle. So now it can. Awesome. Yeah. I mean, it's not. Um... A radio command I use often, but, you know, anyone that does use it often, that's going to be nice for them. So. Yep. So you just drive around and let zombies get shot outside the car. <laughs> exactly. That's kind of fun, actually. Now that you say it that way, I kind of want to try it. <laughs> <laughs> but the Blood Plague Assistance Supply Drop now contains the intended two rucksacks instead of only one. Yeah, this was just a simple error in, in the way that the data worked, you know, uh, there's the way that we set up the data. I think we can we can determine uh, the number of items that show up in a stack, uh, and but if it doesn't work on rucksacks the same way it works on other things, and so we intended to have there be uh, be two rucksacks in the blood plague assistance supply drop, and only one was showing up because of that. So QA caught it just a little bit too late, and uh, and so we're we're throwing that improvement in here. Awesome, definitely glad it's in there too. Because we did this update, uh, I think the previous update we did a bunch of changes and and and. Uh, revisions to all of the Enclave benefits, which included the Blood Plague Assistance Supply Drop. So all of the Enclave right. benefits got raised in power. And so we tried to uh, to raise the power of the Blood Plague Assistance uh, Supply Drop, but but failed. And so now we've succeeded. Awesome. I'm glad that's you know, updated. And honestly, my favorite one out of this section is the Roadside Assistance one. Supply Drop can now contain multiple toolkits and gas cans instead of only one each because, you know, using that um, normally before this patch... It felt kind of weird that, you know, oh, I got one can, like, seriously? So. <laughs> this is all you're doing? Yeah. So that that was not intended. The, the plan was to have the re-multiples. And again, it's the same just uh, misunderstanding about how the data worked. And so now now it should work uh, the way we intended it. Awesome. Uh, I'm glad, you know, because, I mean, I'm sure other ones um, people use this a lot more than I do, but roadside assistance is probably the one that I use most out of those three. So that's why I'm a little bit partial to that one. <laughs> well, that makes sense. Yeah, it's, it's, it's designed to be pretty, you know, uh, pretty useful in a pinch. Exactly. <laughs> But next up, we have the multiplayer section, and I'm actually going to... <laughs> this is your favorite go... one coming up, isn't it? <laughs> I'm going to skip that one for now and just go to that second. So Okay, go for it. 
<laughs> so one of the multiplayer changes is we reduce instances where a client driving a car could be tethered to the host, then arrive in the middle of an obstacle and immediately explode. Yeah, so uh, I, I I never actually saw this one happen myself, but uh, when at any time you usually try to state our uh, um, our patch notes very definitively, like this is happening, this is fixed. But this one we said we reduced instances. That means that we fixed. <laughs> yes. You know, this should happen less often now. We're we we found some of the things that could cause it to happen, and we fixed those. We don't know if we found all of the causes, and so it could be possible that getting tethered to the host while you're driving a car could still result in hilarious explosions. Um, and so let us know if it does, <laughs> and uh, and we'll we'll see what we can do. We know that there are some currently unresolved bugs out there about uh, cars exploding, especially um, cars that are parked at your base suddenly duplicating and exploding all over the place. Uh, we have not yet found the cause of those. And so, you know, it, it makes us nervous to say that we've fixed cars exploding because right. cars exploding seems to be a problem that's, uh, that's pretty hard to, to chase down. But we've at least made it happen less often. So hopefully that'll be that'll be good for now and we'll, we're going to keep working on it. Yeah, and I'll say too that in standard, you know, a lot of times when things like that happens, it's, it's pretty hilarious and, you know, people don't really bat an eye about it too much. But I, I will say that in Nightmare, it's probably going to be a little bit less hilarious because, you know, you, you really need those cars and you don't have a lot of toolkits on you. So Yeah, you don't have a lot of toolkits and you don't have a lot of cars. And so, yeah, yeah it's, so. A, it, it's a much bigger deal. Definitely. So that's nice that at least improved. So. <laughs> But as you alluded to, uh, my favorite change of this entire patch, actually, is what we're about to talk about now. This is one of the multiplayer fixes. Mm -hmm. This is a community request. And inactive characters in a client's community now heal at the same rate as the host's inactive characters. This should help keep you going long, longer during co-op games. And depending mm -hmm. on the host facilities, this healing can affect health loss, trauma, and injuries. Yeah, so for a long time, we just had this weird uh, sort of debate in our heads about you know, how to handle... Um, you know, when a client, you know, comes and joins somebody else's game, how to handle their healing. And uh, for a while, we were thinking, well, they can just use the, use the host facilities to manually heal their characters if they need to. But that's expensive, you know, and, and it's not really the way that people usually play the game. If we want people to be able to play the game the way they're used to playing it, which is you play as one character, that character gets, you know, pretty run down, but then you swap them out for another character when they're, when, you know, when they're ready to rest. Right. And while you're swapped to that other character, your first character can heal up and get ready for the next time they're needed. And so we realized that's the the pattern that people are used to, and so that's something we should support uh, that we should support uh, for the clients in 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 hosted games. And so now that's how it works. But because we don't actually know what's in your base, when you're out as a guest in somebody else's game, we don't know what's going on at your base, and we don't know you know we don't really have access to all the information it would take to heal you according to the rules that you've set up back at your home base. So what we did was we just figure you know you're a guest in this uh, other person's community, so you get to use their stuff. So whatever healing abilities that host community has, you know, what, what kind of infirmary they've built, what kind of improvements they've got. Um, you use that while you're while you're in their uh, while you're in their game. No, that makes a lot of sense. And I have to say too that this change is, you know, really game changing for a lot of players, I think, because, you know, especially a newer player that has like a smaller community, maybe, you know, say you have like a friend that's, you know, just getting the game, they just started the game and they only have like, you know, three or four characters and you're playing like a long session with them and all those characters get fatigued or injured. They keep switching characters. They're like, wait, uh, my character's not healed. Like, I have no characters left that aren't healed anymore. So for veteran players, you probably have, like, you know, a 10-person community. So it's not as big of a deal because you always have more characters to roll between. But for a smaller communities, it really makes a difference like this. Yeah, and especially once we get into the Nightmare Zone, and I think it, it becomes a lot harder to maintain those larger right. communities. Uh, it, people will want to be able to, to to play their smaller communities and have them be viable. So exactly, yeah. I, I don't know yet if I'm going to do a ten person community in Nightmare. I mean, I might just stick <laughs> to you know a a small succinct pack of like you know five people that are like five you know really awesome survivors. I might do that instead. We'll see. <laughs> might, might be simpler. Though, you know, exactly. uh, you might want to have a deep bench just for when uh, the ferals come out. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. That's true. <laughs> but I, I'm really happy with this change. You know, this is definitely um, my number one. If I was giving a number one on this patch notes list, this would be my number one personally. Well, yeah, a lot of work went into it. It's one of those things where, um, you know, anything in multiplayer is like five times as complicated as the same thing would be in single player. And so uh, you know, we had programmers sort of delving in there, trying to find all the weird little edge cases that can happen because of um, you know multiplayer uh, issues. And uh, and I think they got it fixed pretty good. So, uh, so I'm looking forward to seeing what people think. Awesome. I can't wait to try that out now. You know, I'm more, even more excited for Nightmare now. So, <laughs> <laughs> But our next section we have is missions. And in this section, we have a community request that we fix a 
player report a bug where sniper rifle in one of the Eagle Eye missions was arriving with way more rounds in it than a magazine could hold. Yeah, so you guys remember when uh, when uh, the 50 caliber rifles all got their magazines uh, scaled down? Uh, the problem was in that mission, uh, you're scripted to receive a 50 caliber rifle. And when, you know, when we're using our mission system, when we script for you to receive a gun, uh, we also write in the number. We type in the number manually how many rounds are going to be in that gun. And so the number that was typed in for that mission was based on the old magazine size, old, which was okay, enormous. Yeah. And so once the magazine, magazine size went down, it was still showing, like, it was, I think that, that rifle usually contains like four or five bullets max. And, uh, now it was, it was showing up with like 12. Uh, and so it's like you had a, a disposable extended magazine, uh, in, in the rifle when you first get it, but then you can never use that extended magazine again. Uh, and so it was just a, an oversight. Just, you know, we changed the weapons, but just it didn't occur to us to go comb back through all the missions and make sure that none of them were showing up with, uh, with too many rounds. And so that's fixed now. That makes sense. I'm glad that's fixed. Now, you know, I haven't done that mission in a while, but when I do that again, it'll be nice to have it fixed. So. It's uh, it's just a minor thing, but you know, when, when every little fix, you know, it's it's kind of fun to to talk about what you're doing. So it goes in the patch Absolutely. <laughs> and then also with missions, this is actually one that I literally just experienced. I think yesterday. Oh wow! Where we we fixed a bug where it was causing bloater deaths to not be counted properly for some mission objectives because I have one of those missions where a follower asks you, hey, can you help me kill some bloaters? And I killed two out of three bloaters, but the last one wasn't counting for a little while, and it took me a little while to get one to count. Yep. So, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't particularly privy to that one, so I don't know what the cause was. Uh, but yeah, I'm glad to see it fixed. It's, it's, it's rough for a mission designer, uh, to watch one of their own missions fail because some objective didn't count and they don't know why. Uh, and so for me as, as one of the mission designers, it was, uh, it, it's good to see things like that, uh, get, get shored up. Yeah, and that's a pretty cool mission too. So I'm glad it's fixed now because yeah. you know it was a fun mission to do. We just go go around killing a couple bloaters. So yeah, the simple ones are are, are you know they, they don't get enough credit sometimes. Absolutely, I always like that one too. It's kind of off topic, but um, where you have to shoot the arms and legs off zombies. That's kind of fun too. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's a fun mission. <laughs> but we have a section next called other stuff. So I guess it's just kind of like a conglomerate that didn't really fit into other categories per se. Yeah, I could have said miscellaneous, but other stuff is just a more fun phrase yeah, to say. It, it works. <laughs> <laughs> but we have a community request. We fixed terrain and geometry in various places, including some called out by players to prevent folks from unexpectedly crashing vehicles or getting stuck. Yeah, this is just an ongoing thing that we're always doing. We always, you know, uh, when people find places where it looks like I can drive in this place, but actually there's a weird piece of collision that I wouldn't expect that, you know, kicks my car off in a weird direction or gets me stuck or something, you know, whenever we find stuff like that, we try to fix it. And so this is just kind of an ongoing process. We're always doing that. And so you'll find most of our patch notes say something like that uh, somewhere towards the end. Yeah, that makes sense. I remember something like that in a lot of patch notes usually, so... Another one is we fixed a number of instances where characters could fall through the world. Yep. That, again, that's just, you know, whenever we find out about a place like that, we try to fix it. And so right. we, we, I think we fixed a few more places like that this time. And is that specifically in to do with like the NPCs you have to talk to and sometimes you can't find them? That kind of thing? Uh, I'm not sure. It probably was actually a range of different things from the player being able okay. to fall through the world to NPCs not being there and you don't know why. And it's because they fell through the world. Uh, I, I don't know exactly which bugs we fixed with that particular uh, note. But uh, we've had all kinds of different things happening, so uh, it could have been any of those. Well, if the next update, if you give us a shovel, we can just kind of dig for them, you know, just dig under the world. And <laughs> <just kinda>. <laughs> <laughs> I have had uh, cases where uh, there was a thing in uh, in State of Decay Lifeline, uh, you know, the way our system worked, we couldn't have a character speak unless they were physically spawned into the world. And we had a lot of characters that only existed on the radio. Uh, and so what we had to do was find a place outside the reachable area of the map where we could just spawn those characters. So I chose a neighborhood and I just put spawn points for all of the radio <laughs> characters and I spawned them just standing in a line over there and figured no one will ever see this. But of course, uh, you know, one of our intrepid, uh, community members, uh, Montprint Cyclope, uh, he got over a wall somewhere and drove out and he found where all the radio characters were having a party, uh, off in a, like a distant <laughs> awesome. community somewhere. So, you know, <laughs> if you, if you, you give that guy a shovel, he'll probably be able to dig down and find all the player, players, uh, the characters who fell through the world too. That's a really cool story, actually. I wish I was there to see that. <laughs> yeah, no, he, I think he might have posted a video of it or something. And, and yeah, it was, I, I watched it and I just cringed the whole time. Like, yep, that's where they are. Maybe I should have hidden them inside the houses. <laughs> yeah. But, uh, yeah. <laughs> hey, they were having a good party. You know, he wanted to join them. So, <laughs> yeah, yeah, he found apparently where, where the, the doghouse base was. And, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. 
<laughs> but another fix in that section, we made some improvements to hostile human AI, particularly around the base. Yeah, I don't have a lot of details around this, except I just know that a lot more focus was put onto uh, human versus human fighting uh, while we were working on uh, the, di the higher difficulty zones. Uh, because, you know, they were going to get tougher to fight. It was going to matter a lot more how you approach them. And so there were some, like, behaviors uh, of the human AI that uh, that were not very helpful that they managed to sort of corral them back into uh, into behaving the way they wanted to. So I don't have a ton of detail on that but it should be uh you know the humans should behave a little bit more reasonably when you're when you're attacking their bases no that's awesome because it's going to be a lot harder to beat them now so you know you want them to actually pose that challenge that you're looking for yeah, so. especially in nightmare where they can take off you know most of your health with one shot it's uh... <laughs> exactly it, it's crazy eh? <laughs> <laughs> I, I almost died several times to humans when i tried out the beta so <laughs> <laughs> but i'm kind of curious actually that hostile human ai is that mm -hmm. sort of the same exact ai as your follower NPCs, or is that a different system altogether? Uh, I don't. I think they've got a lot in common because uh, they all, you know, they all fight the same way. And you know, a hostile human could be confronted by a zombie at any time, and so and, and need to fight them the same way that uh, your allies do. But uh, they're they're often doing different things, right? Like your your allies are usually, you know, they're trying to stick stick with you while fighting any zombies they get nearby. Whereas the hostile guys are usually uh, defending some kind of territory, right. or or sometimes we actually secretly under the hood make them your followers, so they'll just chase you anywhere and and, and fight you and insist on uh, on on taking you down. So uh, there's a few different things they can do, but I, I believe that they're basically using the same AI. They're just usually doing somewhat different things. Yeah, and part of the reason I asked too is because I have heard feedback from some people in the community that. They don't think that the follower NPCs have, you know, as good AI as the hostiles do. So, huh? Um, interesting. Yeah, I think I think that it's all it all. You know, I am not an AI uh, programmer or designer, uh, and so there's a lot of details about the system that I, I I'm ignorant of, and so anything I say about it could likely be wrong. I think if if Quinn or Peter right. uh, was listening to me right now, they'd be like, "You're saying everything wrong already." Uh, <laughs> but uh, yeah, so. I just know that they made some improvements because they weren't doing quite what they wanted to, and now they're doing a little bit more closer to what they want to. So, Awesome. So that's great that that happened, you know, and hopefully uh, it provides a great experience in Nightmare. I mean, I know the experience <laughs> I had with them in beta was definitely challenging, so I can say that much. <laughs> but the last change in other stuff is we made further improvements to multiplayer stability. That's another one of the just sort of, like, ongoing efforts you know whenever we find a way right. that we can improve that and have people drop out less you know run into less problems less performance issues when they're playing in multiplayer you know we try to make those changes whenever we can so a few more makes sense <laughs> but our last section is actually technically the first section you're going to see when you see these patch notes but i saved it for last because i think this has a lot of you know really key things that people are going to love in here so i'm going to save the most key things for last and we'll talk about right. some of the other ones first so one of the community requests that came into this is you can now select which map you want to play on when creating a new community, entering a new zone, or switching to a new map. This is one of our most requested features, and uh, the only embarrassing thing about it is that it took us this long uh, to get into the game. We actually intended to ship originally with this feature, uh, but it kept getting prioritized behind other things. Uh, but yeah, the basic idea is anytime you would be switching maps now, whether you're starting a brand new community, whether you're moving maps, or whether you're changing difficulty modes, which effectively uh, moves you to a new map. Uh, it refreshes the map that you're on, even if you stay in the same place. Um, you, a little window pops up that lets you actually choose whether you want to be in Cascade Hills, Drucker County, Negro Valley, or if you want to let the game select like random, which is what it used to always do. Uh, and so... Now you can, you know, we've had a lot of players that were getting back to us saying, you know, I've got favorite maps that I really want to play on, and it frustrates me that you know, I can put all this effort into setting up my perfect new community, but I still can't even decide what map I'm on. And, and sometimes, you know, the very first thing I have to do is get my, you know, community built up to the point where I can change maps just to get where I wanted to start in the first place. And we realized, yeah, that, that is, that is a pretty frustrating situation, uh, for people to get into. So, uh, now that shouldn't be an issue. Now, uh, you know, no matter how it is, you're getting into a new map you should always be able to decide which one it is uh, while you're on the way in. Yeah, I think that is going to be a change that a lot of people are looking for and is going to be nice for them. But just to be clear real quick, to clarify, mm -hmm. when you actually research new territories now in the standard mode, you basically, if you say you're on Meager, right? You have mm -hmm. to actually go to the certain uh, area of the road that actually takes you to Drucker, if you're going to Drucker. Would you actually be able to go to that certain area of road that takes you to Drucker and go anywhere now? You know what? That's a question I should have asked somebody before... Uh... <laughs> coming okay. on the podcast so uh, all i know is you can definitely choose in each instance uh i don't know if we okay. just in, in that particular case where we actually were giving the player uh the ability to choose already uh, we might have left that one alone because it was already okay. kind of working uh, i can't promise you <laughs> if that changed it up gotcha. <laughs> but the uh, but definitely the times where it was all 
always random. Uh, like when you're when you are you know starting a brand new uh, community from scratch, uh, you can now select. Yeah, that makes sense. Yeah, I was just kind of curious about that because like if you're driving to go to Drucker, then you're like, oh, I can go to Cascade too if I want. Hmm, interesting. Yeah, I can <laughs> I can I can imagine uh, it going any of the possible ways. And so, uh, sorry, I don't have the specific details on that. No, that's thing. fine. That's fine. We'll have to test that in game and see how it goes. So. Yeah. <laughs> But another community request is we fixed a player reported bug that was causing elements in the leader selection interface to persist after the interface was closed. Yeah, that was a really frustrating one. We, uh, you know, people have been talking about that one for uh, for a few months now, and uh, it, it, it was rough to, to to see people, you know, just peak chunks of the UI just staying on the screen longer than they're supposed to. Just always feels really weird and awkward, and so uh, I'm glad to have have that one in the bag it's not happening anymore yeah that one i didn't really experience but i mean i'm glad it's fixed rather than it was so yeah i think you had to actually leave the game entirely and come back in in order to make it go away which was (laughs) that makes sense because i didn't do that a lot you know when i leave the game i'm usually done for the day and then i go back in when i'm going back in so (laughs) (laughs) so that makes sense why i didn't see that much (laughs) but another one is when you complete a legacy or now return to the main menu rather than being prompted immediately start a new game so th- th- this is uh, a kind of a window into game designer psychology, which is we we worried a lot, like when we were first planning State of Decay 2, that when somebody finished you know, their first playthrough of the game um, and they got their first legacy boon, we were worried they wouldn't realize that you could actually start a new game, that, that, that the intent was for you to play through the game multiple times and collect all of the legacy boons. We were really worried people would miss that. It would go over their heads. They'd be like, oh, I guess I'm done with the game. I guess there's no more the game could possibly offer me. And they would just, you know, gallop off into the sunset and miss like two-thirds of the content of the game. That makes sense, yeah. Um, and so we were very, very nervous about it. And so we actually, you know, we set up the flow so that people were basically required to start a new game, practically required to start a new game uh, whenever they finished an old one. And uh, after, you know, over time, though, we kind of realized people who are playing the game now, they get it. They know what the game is that they're playing. There's no mystery there. And actually, a lot of the time when you finish a, you know, when you finish a playthrough, you kind of do, you know, that's the perfect time to kind of sit back, relax, go, you know, eat something and not be playing a game anymore. And so forcing them right. to begin the next game was actually feeling kind of awkward and weird. So we decided to change it up and just make it so you go back to the main menu. And if you want to start a new game. You go right ahead and initiate it, and uh, we're not going to tell you what you're supposed to do. Yeah, I can definitely speak from my experience, too. You know, I, I will like this change, too, because I felt that as well, where I finished the legacy. I'm like, oh, well, I, I want to start a new game, but I didn't want to start it this second. Like, I wanted to come back <laughs> later. Anyway, so. <laughs> yeah, so uh, we, you, your concern has been heard, and uh, yeah, it should be a little bit more convenient for you now. <laughs> That's awesome. I'm glad to hear that. But another change that we have, notifications for positive events like influence rewards are now flashier and easier to notice. Yeah, so uh, we actually added some new influence rewards for specifically for Dread Zones and Nightmare Zones because uh, the game was so grueling. People were feeling like they just were not being rewarded enough for all the good things that they did. Um, so we added some new um, influence benefits, but while we were looking at it, we realized these are subtle. Like, you know, we could add the benefits, we could add the bonuses, but if nobody ever noticed the bonuses, it really wasn't having the impact we wanted it to have. So um, our, our UX team put some time into seeing if they could make those notifications flashier and more orange than they used to be. So so it should be should be easier to tell when you've gotten a prize. Now. And are you able to call out any of those new influence rewards? Uh, I don't have them. I, I believe that some of them were for killing freaks, uh, that, that you know, maybe things that wouldn't uh, have been a huge reward before are a reward now. But uh, I'm not I'm not the one who implemented that, and so I can't give you a lot of details. Maybe maybe that's another question we should ask Brian. Okay, that makes sense. Yeah, because I know, like for example, when you kill the streamer, it's five influence, or when you kill a juggernaut, it's fifty. So maybe that got increased a little bit. Uh, we'll p- possibly something along those lines. I don't I don't want to promise anything because uh, I don't I don't know the details in that in that system. Fair enough. But one of the ones I was kind of saving that I think is very interesting, and I'm kind of you know interested to hear your take on. What this exactly means is when you are low on a particular resource, Ruxtax containing that resource will pulse to draw attention to themselves. So, yeah, so this was a thing where uh, a lot of people who were playing uh, Dread Zones and Nightmare Zones were actually dealing with resource shortages for the first time. Uh, they had right. never actually dealt with it before because, you know, if you're if you're scavenging consistently in, in a standard zone, usually it's not that hard to stay ahead of your community's needs. And so people who were suddenly, you know, 
dealing with shortages all the time. One thing that they had an issue with, it was it was actually hard for them to keep track of it. They they didn't always know what they had uh, a shortage in at any given time, or they would grab the wrong rucksack and realize, oh wait, no, I had a desperate need for something else. Uh, and so we wanted to really make sure that when some when you have a shortage of something, you can really feel it and you know what to do about it. Uh, and so now when you open up a container and it's got rucksacks in it, uh, if one or more of the rucksacks contains something that you are in the red uh, for at your base, uh, there'll be a subtle little pulsating effect on it saying, hey, hey, look over here. This is the thing that you need the most of. And uh, so it should help players sort of uh, habitually without having to do a bunch of research and open up their base screen to see what they're low on. Um, you know, hopefully it, it should like help people notice uh, what they actually need to focus on when they're playing in a higher difficulty mode. And have you seen what that effect looks like? Is it like, um, one example, you have a quest like, oh, I want you to find a portable generator. Is it where it shows like that little orange icon showing you you need this? Uh, no, it's Is not the, like it's not the orange icon. Cause yeah, cause that orange icon, it means specific things in the missions, right? And so right. we didn't want to compete with that and confuse people. If they, if they're in the middle of a mission and they open up, uh, a container and it contains a rucksack, that they need and also a mission item. We didn't want that to be confusing. Uh, so it actually is more like an, it's like an animated pulsation on the icon that, uh, you know, it just, it does just a little bit of movement to get your attention uh, and make it stand out from the other icons. Awesome. I'm glad that's there. You know, I'm curious to try that out and see how it looks. So, you yeah. know, when I'm jumping into nightmare and I'm, you know, running low on food or something, I'll, I'll go check it out. So, <laughs> but we, Basically, have one more um, big note here for the user experience, and this is one that I was particularly saving for last because I think it's going to be something that a lot of people that were upset on a previous update will be, you know, <laughs> very happy to have this there. So basically, what this is, it's a community request where we've added a new character manager that allows you to view and edit your collection of legacy survivors each time you complete a legacy. Now your characters are not deleted behind the scenes when you complete a legacy and exceed the 50 character cap. Instead, each time you add new characters to the pool, you have a chance to manually select which ones to keep and which ones to dismiss. Yeah, this one was one that we, you know, <laughs> there's this whole long story that goes along with this one where, you know, originally we left the, the, the size of your legacy pool unbounded. You could just keep adding characters to it and your save file would keep getting bigger and bigger and bigger forever. And, uh, that's never a good idea when you're doing game development to let something get bigger forever. There's usually a problem with it. And in this case, yeah, there was. If somebody, uh, if they legacied a bunch of times and they filled up the character pool to, you know, huge proportions, uh, their save game got so large that we literally couldn't manage it anymore. And their game would stop saving and, uh, and they wouldn't be able to really make any progress in the game at all. And so that was extremely broken. And once we found out that was going on, we had to fix it fast. Uh, and so we implemented a limit on the number of uh, legacy survivors you could have. But then there were a lot of players who were carefully managing their legacy pools. And when that limit kicked in, it deleted a bunch of their characters. And that was kind of, uh, it was like a very cringy and uh, apologetic moment for us when that happened. Um and so we we went back and we looked at what we had and we uh at first you know we had some early ideas about uh about how we could go about you know making it easier for for players to be able to manage this stuff uh so that they could you know be be warned when they were about to lose characters or somehow give them a little bit more control um and and we pitched some of these ideas around but then um Susan Olenek our uh UX designer uh she was like hold on wait a minute why are you guys coming up with bandit ideas what's the right way to solve this is there a good way to solve this instead of just trying to you know do sort of, sort of quickie solution which is a lot of the time you know uh Usually, that's all you can afford to do. But Susan was very insistent. She's like, let's figure out what the right way to solve this is first, and then decide if we need to do a quickie band-aid. And so she, you know, got us all into a room, and we walked through the problem, and, and sort of drew up, uh, you know, what the, the, the UX for this would look like. And actually, once everyone looked at it, they're like, you know what? This is actually not all that hard. Our, our UI artist, Krista, was like, yeah, I can totally make that in a couple of days. And, uh, you know, the programmer, Lewis, was like, oh, yeah, no, this, this won't take long to implement at all. And I was like, oh my gosh, thank you, Susan, for saving all of our <laughs> lives. Awesome. Uh, because, yeah, we would have come up with something, you know, totally cheap because we thought we had to. But because she made us go through the process of actually figuring out what the right solution was, we realized, actually, you know what? We can do it right. So there's an entirely new menu in the game now. So whenever you complete a legacy and you've got extra characters, you know, and you can't keep them all, we bring you to the screen where you see on the left side, your characters that you're bringing into the legacy pool that are, have just completed uh, their their playthrough. And then you on the right side, you see all the characters you've already got. And you go through and you mark all the characters. Basically, you have to mark characters to delete until you get the number down to 50. And once you get the number down to 50, you can continue. But until you get the number down to 50, you can't. 
Uh, and so it leaves it up to players to decide exactly who stays and exactly who goes. And while you're in that interface, if you want to go down lower than 50 and really carefully curate who it is you're keeping so that it's easier when you're starting a new community to cycle through the characters that you actually care about, um, you can do that too. So you've got the freedom to, to delete as many characters as you want or to just keep them right at the, at the maximum of, of 50. It, it's up to you and you've got all of the interface that you need to in order to really understand what's going on and, and get through it. So I'm really, really pleased with what Susan and Krista and Lewis came up with. And, uh, and so I think, I think players are really going to like it too. And hopefully, uh, the, the pleasantness of this interface will make up for some of the pain, uh, that, that they went through, uh, that players went through with some of the previous patches to the game. Yeah, I'm really excited to try this out myself, and it sounds like such a cool system now where I actually want to, you know, just go over 50 just to try it out, like actually <laughs> curate my community. Okay, I don't want you, I don't want you, like just to try it out. So it, it sounds really cool to try that out. Well, my favorite part of the interface is whenever you um, select a character for, character for deletion, we don't just put some dry little mark saying, oh, this character's going away. We actually put a big bloody skull on them. Uh, because you're basically oh, taking them out back and shooting them. Uh, so that, I, I don't remember, I think it might have been Krista who came up with that, and, uh, it's great. Uh, so. The more, you're probably like, uh, I'm sorry, I didn't mean it. Yeah, just the, the more, uh, uh, bloodthirsty, uh, the game is, I think the better off it is. So, yeah. That's awesome. And just for clarification too, I believe this is not the way it works, but let's say you have, you know, 35 people in your community, and mm -hmm. you complete a legacy with five people in your community. It goes to 40, obviously. That menu will not pop up, correct? Uh, I, I, you know what? Now that you're asking the question, I don't remember whether we pop it up or not. We might pop it up every single time, just so you can... Okay. In fact, you know, I think... Okay, I'm terrified of being wrong, but I think what we decided was uh, that that we want you to see it every time so that you know it's there and you know it's coming. Because uh, if we only waited until you had over 50 characters, then it would be a big surprise and you wouldn't even know you know, that that, that that was a thing. And suddenly we're springing this big decision on you right at the last minute at the end of your game. So I believe we actually send it through you through uh, send you through that process every time so that you can get used to it and understand how the constraints work. But don't quote me on that. Actually, I guess okay. being on a podcast is technically quoting me. But uh, <laughs> if I'm wrong, I'm terribly sorry. I believe that's how it works, though. Awesome. I'm definitely excited to try that out. And honestly, that seems like a better way to do it anyways, because then you can kind of you know self-curate your community as you get up to 50. So you can yeah. kind of hand handpick the 50 survivors you want as you go up to 50. The longer we talk about it, the more convinced I am that that's how it works. And if that's not how it works... It kind of makes me want to make it be how it works. Uh, so uh, if that's not how it works, stay tuned for future updates. <laughs> <laughs> awesome. <laughs> but, you know, I, I think this is a really great patch. And I think there's a lot of really cool things in here. So, you know, not only do we get the Nightmare Zone and Dread Zone, which I think are going to be huge game changers for the longevity of State of Decay 2. Mm -hmm. I think, you know, this patch is going to do that as well. You know, there's a lot of key changes in here. You know, like that, like the multiplayer fix with the um, healing that I love. You know, we can heal in co-op. That's going to be awesome as well. So there's a lot of really awesome fixes in here. I think they're going to great for the longevity of the game. Well, thank you. This is, I mean, this process of, you know, getting feedback from the community, uh, finding out what's working, what's not working, and then being able to sort of actively respond to the, the to that feedback. It's one of my favorite uh, things about working in the game industry in, in this generation is, is, is the fact that we can keep going back and keep making improvements and changes based on what the audience is experiencing with the game and not just on what we imagine they're going to want in advance. Uh, and so we're trying to improve all of our methodology around this stuff. We're trying to find better ways for us to really collect, uh, you know, get, kind of get our finger on the pulse of what people are, are hoping for. We're trying to figure out, you know, exactly the, 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 the best uh, process for deciding what updates to make and when. Uh, and so hopefully we'll get better and better at this because, you know, th we want this franchise to continue for a long time. And uh, that means we're going to need to nurture a player base that trusts us and stays with us and, and really believes that we have their their best interest at heart. And so that means we have to do a lot of listening. It means we have to do a lot of, of you know, uh, very put some very serious uh, structures in place to make sure that we're paying attention to what the community wants. And even though we can't, you know, we definitely can't always give the community exactly what it asks for. Sometimes there's very good reasons why, why we can't. Uh, we should at least be making all of our decisions knowing what the community wants. And because uh, that's, that's probably, I mean, knowing your audience is probably the number one most important thing uh, for building very any... Fair any work of art and uh and so if if if, if we're doing that better it, it makes every part of our job better awesome yeah i'm glad that you know that you guys feel that way and that undead labs takes this approach because this approach is really what gives us you know community members of state of decay you know the great feelings we have about this game because this game is something that you know has built a really great community around it and 
you know, I think I speak for most of us that, you know, I love being a part of this community. So thank you. <laughs> well, so do we. So, I mean, you know, we're, we're a part of it just like you guys are. And so, uh, yeah, you guys, you guys definitely do plenty of your share to make that, that experience great for us. So it, it really does help to have such a, you know, positive and supportive community that, that, you know, that we get a lot of feedback about things that aren't working, but, uh, you know, a lot of the times it's, it's couched in, 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 uh, in, in kind and supportive language that is just unheard of on the internet. So. <laughs> and I do have to say too, as an aside, you know, April, Undead Trials 4 and Nightmare Road. I can't wait for that. <laughs> That's going to be a lot of fun. And, <laughs> That's uh, going to be fun to see. <laughs> yeah. And so, you know, we're going to keep, we're going to keep trying to support the game. Hopefully, uh, we can do another one of these patch notes, uh, uh, podcasts sometime in the, in the near future. And we'll, we're going to keep working on it. Awesome. I'd love to do that. But before we end, I'll just quickly go over my newest items real quick again. Mm -hmm. The next podcast we do is going to be Saturday, April 6th. It's either going to be on Generation Zero or the next installment in our Dead by Daylight series. Basically, whatever one I don't do on that date will be the following Saturday. And the next stream I do is going to be Sunday, 12 p.m. to 4 p.m. Eastern Time. That is probably going to be uh, Generation Zero because... By the time you're hearing this, I've already done a couple streams of State of Decay in the new Nightmare Mode, and I've only done one on Generation Zero, so I'll probably do a second stream on Generation Zero that day. But I could do uh, State of Decay that day and switch it up. But the State of Decay uh, Nightmare Mode one will be on Tuesday. I'm going to do Tuesday again for sure, I think, and I might do a double stream on uh, Sunday to do that instead. But that being said... Jeffrey, how can people find you and get a hold of you if they want to? Uh, so I'm at Rangatang on Twitter. And uh, I'm also at the Undead Labs Discord if you want to look that up. I think we're actually making it at some point. We're going to make that thing so that you can search and find it. Uh, so it's easier for people to get there. I also post a lot on the uh, on the State of Decay group on Facebook. So uh, if you want to get uh, in contact with me, uh, that those are a lot of the ways to do it. And also um, uh, twitch.tv slash Undead Labs or mixer.com slash Undead Labs. Uh, or youtube.com. Is it slash undead labs? I don't even know what the URL is. I believe on YouTube. it is, yes. But, uh, yeah, go to any of those places. We do our stream every week. Uh, I host most of those streams. And, uh, so if you want to, you know, come and chat with me live, uh, that's a place to do it. So there's all kinds of places. I and mean, we do everything we can to try to be available to the audience so that we can, uh, you know, so that we can get the feedback that we need. Yeah. And if you show up on Mixer too, I'll, I'll be in the chat on Mixer usually. That's where I hang out most of the yeah. time. But he, he answers so. the questions that I don't have the time to ask. <laughs> answer so <laughs> yes so <laughs> if you have extra questions you know I, I might be able to help you out in the mixer chat so <laughs> but if you want to get a hold of me you can do so at the blaze experience at gmail.com you can find me on twitter or my xbox gamer tag at blaze experience that's capital b-l-a-i-s-e capital x-p-e-r-i-e-n-c-e we are also on youtube if you want to check us out there we do have a discord as well that will be in the show notes so definitely check that out if you want to get in touch with me offline uh, Discord and Twitter is probably where I'm most active, so you can probably reach me there the fastest, and YouTube is probably where I'm the least active, so if you have a comment on YouTube or something, I will get back to it, just it probably will take a little longer than uh, Twitter or Discord. But if you want to find the podcast, you're obviously listening to it right now, but if you want to find a different way than you are right now, then it's on Stitcher, it's on iTunes, Spotify, Radio Public, Blueberry, Podbean, Google Podcasts, basically any directory you can think of, with the exception of iHeartRadio, so... Hopefully, one of these days, I could say, you know, it is on iHeartRadio, but um, so far, it's not. So, <laughs> any other director besides that. <laughs> I never heard of half of those, so that's great. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. So. so, hopefully, that's, you know, a good catalog for people. So. <laughs> but thank you, Jeffrey, for coming out again. And, you know, hopefully, we can have you back for Patch 8.0 when that happens. <laughs> that's, that's my hope. <laughs> <laughs> so that'll be a lot of fun. But thank you so much for coming on, and I really appreciate being here. Yeah, same here. And thank you, as always, to our audience. Thank you for listening to The Blaze Screen.